Welcome to episode 59 of Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Patrick. Welcome back. Hi. We have a room full of dogs today, so if you hear... Yeah, we normally have the uh, Coco, the, uh, pudding, the pudding pup in here. Mm-hmm. With all She's of our, very quiet. Yeah, but we have the bulldog in here, so if you hear a whole lot of snorting and farting, that's actually Jackson and not me. So <laughs> This time. This time, yeah. He's very um, nasal. We'll he's a bulldog. He's, he's a bulldog. bulldog. You can imagine. They they make noise. He make, and he's very spoiled. He's an he's an elderly gentleman. <laughs> so I haul him around because he has a bad hip, and he's used to being carried everywhere. Yep. So he whines and and I'm not able to sit here and hold him, and he's begging for me to hold him. Oh yeah. Right. In the microphone, it would pick it up and it would be annoying. Yeah, he'd be, literally be snorting in the microphone the whole time. Yeah. But, um, oh yeah, we had just today, actually, well, not today by the time this is released, but our episode with our collab with True Crime B&B was released today with Beth and Bailey. That's right. We just had Beth, Um, but that was a super fun episode. Definitely check out our collab with them. Over on their channel at True Crime BNB. And we also put Anywhere some links up in notifications, or not notifications, but posts about it on Instagram yeah. and Facebook and stuff. So. Absolutely. And um, make sure you stay tuned until the end because she added bloopers in there. And it nice. was hilarious. And, and on a side note on that, we yeah. were actually the good story. We were the good guys because so, if you're not familiar with their podcast, they have. The good guys. They the tell two guys. stories. They tell mm-hmm. stories. One's a good one. One's a good ending. One's Survivor a bad ending. Survivor story. Yeah. yeah. And you know us on Evil Pudding. We're always the bad. Guys. We're always the bad guys. So it was nice. We got to tell like a good story. Like, wasn't a good story, but it has a good ending. Had a nice ending. It had a good ending, which is new for us. Even even they were like, "What the heck? You guys I, have the good one." We we do have some good stories. <laughs> but today, Patrick. I originally had planned to cover a serial killer, mm-hmm. and I still am going to cover. That's the that, next one, right? That yeah, that person. Well, okay. life kind of got in the way again. It's gonna be a good one, but life kind of got in the way, and the temperature outside dropped by like five degrees. It went from like a hundred and five to only like a hundred. So basically, a cold front, which means it's basically fall. In Texas, yes. (laughs) And that alerted me to the fact that it is practically spooky season. It is spooky season. So I had to harness my inner spookiness. You you do that 12 months a year. I am just spooky. You are like Halloween is your (laughs) And I thought, let's do a scary episode to kind of prime us for this. I like it. So how about a vampire story? You know, I love those stories. And this is a good one because I feel like this story isn't very widely known, um, but it's still super creepy. So I think you're going to any one of these vampire one, murder type stories are mm-hmm. always super creepy. Okay, so let's dive right in. In April of 1972, at a mortuary in Nuremberg, Germany, there was something odd going on. Several family members of the recently deceased had noticed that jewelry and other belongings were missing from their loved one's bodies. Now, these bodies, before they were to be sent off for burial, were usually stored in the crematorium, Mm -hmm. where the jewelry and other valuables, they would be placed in like a safe for safekeeping. Right. But it was there that the jewelry would disappear. How many people have access to that? So Right. After several complaints from family members, a night watchman named 
It's George Warmoth, but um, I think you pronounce it Georg. So I'll be polite and say Georg. Yeah, aren't these all German Very, and names? we're talking me here, yeah. and I butcher the English language. <laughs> and I'm They're in Nuremberg, so it's going to be all German names, so <laughs> yeah. bear with us, because neither one of us can pronounce a lot of so European Ge- names well. Georg, and I know Warmoth isn't Warmoth over there, it's like Varmoth. Warm, yeah, Warm, W's or V's. Yeah. So, um, Garrett Warmoth went to investigate, and he found the safe that stored the valuables had been obviously tampered with and broken into. Since there was no evidence of any kind of a break-in, the night watchman felt that the perpetrator was probably someone who worked at the mortuary and perhaps, or perhaps a joining cemetery. Okay. One stormy night, and I know... It's dramatic, but Ooh. it was a stormy night. It's dramatics. <laughs> With his suspicions already heightened, Georg received a phone call from a woman who lived across from the cemetery. This woman told Georg that she had seen a dark, shadowy figure darting quickly between the graves in the graveyard. That's not creepy. That's not creepy at all, is it? Thinking that this had to be the Joel thief, Georg rushed to the mezzanine where he hid in the dark, silent silently waiting for the jewel thief to enter. After several minutes, it was clear that the thief was not going to show himself. So Georg made his way to the crematorium. And it was then that he heard the creaking of a door. Oh. Flipping on the lights, Georg was met with quite a sight. He saw a man with dark jet black hair leaning over an open coffin that contained a 15-year-old girl. Georg watched in shock as the sinister-looking figure kissed the corpse on her lips. What was he doing and why? That's not creepy. Little little did Georg know, this mystery man was guilty of far more disturbing crimes than just kissing corpses. Today, friends, we will be discussing the haunting and demented case of the Vampire of Nuremberg, a.k.a. Kuno Hoffman. Let's switch things up a little bit and get into the crimes before we get into the actual perp this time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's new for us. Normally, it's the other way around. I like it. Okay, switch it up. Well, something different. Strange happenings had been occurring for a while now in various mortuaries and cemeteries in the area. A year earlier in 1971, at a cemetery in Hamburg... A mortuary worker stumbled across a horrific scene. The body of a young girl had been removed from her coffin and posed so that she appeared to be leaning against it. She was completely naked and her lips and neck were covered in apparent bite marks. The hell? She was also surrounded by candles that had since been extinguished. It's almost ritualistic, right? Well, it's very ritualistic, but it's really creepy and weird very at the same creepy. time. If that isn't strange enough for you, surrounding her were other bodies propped up against their coffins, all arranged as if they were facing the young girl and giving her an audience of sorts. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's very weird. That bonkers scene was discovered on April 14th. Then three days later, on April 17th, something else happened. Just east of Hamburg, 
another mortuary worker, an undertaker actually, walked into his parlor. And it was there that he found the body of a woman sitting up, propped up against her coffin. Like the previous girl, she was surrounded by candles that had since been extinguished. And then on the island of Silt, which I hadn't heard of that before. I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, It's not far from Hamburg near the Danish border. A pastor discovered something rather shocking when he entered his church. Okay. Inside, the body of a 52-year-old man was inside his coffin waiting to be buried. And he was there when the pastor had left the day before. So nothing unusual. When the pastor had left the previous day, he had made sure that the coffin was closed, right? But on this day, the coffin's top was clearly open. Obviously, something or someone had opened the coffin. A little weird. But what made this experience extra alarming was that a hunting knife was protruding from the dead man's chest, which clearly had not been there before. I mean, I think he would have noticed yeah. that I was there when he put the guy in the coffin and, you know, yeah. The following month a woman stumbled upon a rather jarring sight, to say the least. She was walking through the cemetery in the town of Flensburg, I believe is how you say it. Just She was just going to visit her mom's grave. You probably say it much more aggressively, but yeah. Flensburg! Flensburg! <laughs> well, she arrived at her mom's grave plot, and she was shocked to see someone sitting next to it, the adjoining plot. As she got closer, she realized that the grave next to her mother's had been dug up and the person sitting there was the corpse of a man, the decapitated corpse of a man. Police wouldn't be able to locate the head, by the way. I just, I'm just thinking about this poor lady going to visit a loved one. Going to bring flowers to her mom's Just grave. visit like you probably routinely do. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, someone's sitting next to the grave next that's, to it. And yeah. you're like, that's weird. And you woke up you're like, oh, it's the dead person. Oh, he's And they don't have head. a home. That's not yeah. creepy at all. So whoever stole this head, like it was gone. Somebody ran off with the head. It's crazy. Police wouldn't be able to locate the head. Someone had clearly run off with it. His next known encounter with the public um, was the incident with Georg. Mm, okay. The jewelry. Yeah, so we're kind of going in chronological order here. So the vampire creep perpetrator that we're talking about, his next known encounter with the public was the incident in Nuremberg with Georg, the night watchman. So we're kind of back to that right now. We're going in chronological order. Well, when Georg stumbled upon this creeper kissing the corpse of the young girl... Um, Before Georg could even react to what he was seeing, this perpetrator shot Georg and severely injured him before he fled. In fact, Georg's large and small intestine had been penetrated. Yeah. But luckily, he would live and be able to give a description of his assailant to the police, which was very helpful. A dude in the dark biting a... Child, yeah. dead body. Yeah. Like, yeah. What kind of description do you Almost get? Almost unbelievable at this point. Now, so far, this guy is not messed with the living. He's just abusing corpses. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah. However, that was about to change. Running out, of, running out of cemeteries and stuff to go to mess with corpses. In. Yeah. And this is twisted, guys. So just a warning. make his own corpses. 24 hours after shooting Georg and fleeing. Okay. Uh, 24-year-old Marcus Adler and 19-year-old Ruth Lissy were on a date. 
They had taken a drive and parked at a scenic spot near a forest just east of Nuremberg in the village of Lindelberg. After chatting for a bit, the couple seemingly dozed off for a time. Uh, Marcus was in the front seat and Ruth was laying down in the back seat. I, mean, I just want to say, like, that sounds like an awesome date where you just yeah, go take a nap. You just go take a nap. You're talking to take Maybe a nap. Maybe they were going to go out after just and they just got some food and laid down and take a nap. I love it. Well, suddenly, a man approached their vehicle and abruptly, just without any warning, shot Marcus in the head with a pistol. Ruth got up really quick, and the guy shot her in the left region of her chest. Both Ruth Ruth and Marcus were shot again in the head, execution style, to ensure that they were, in fact, dead. And then, this is sick, so a little trigger warning here. No, I figured the shooter climbed into the car and drank the blood from Marcus's gunshot wound. Ugh. He then pushed Ruth's sweater up that she was wearing, pushed her bra up, and drank the blood from her chest wounds before assaulting her body. That's disgusting. Disgusting. And after spending a very good amount of time with the bodies, more than he should have, he robbed them and fled the scene. So he took their personal belongings, jewelry, wallet, and left. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. Good Lord. Good Lord, right? It's disgusting, man. Investigators that came upon the bodies immediately linked the shooting of Georg to the killings of Marcus and Ruth because the bullets retrieved from the scene came from the same caliber of pistol. Makes sense. Police knew that they had a gun-wielding psychopath who liked to assault dead bodies. So, obviously, they had to act fast because this guy was escalating. He was no longer just assaulting corpses. He was was killing people. He's no longer assaulting corpses. Now he's making corpses to assault. Right. He's he's murdering people so he can assault their corpses. It wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, also, it wasn't enough, but he's also probably running out of cemeteries and graveyards to keep popping up in and doing this shit, too. Without getting caught, at least. People are starting to, like, pay attention now, Yeah. Thankfully, Georg had survived his encounter with him, so he was able to provide somewhat of a physical description of the perp. And that physical description was released to the public. Citizens of Nuremberg and surrounding areas were notified to be on the lookout for a, quote, bespectacled man of short stature with a bulbous nose and a quaff of jet black hair. (laughs) Bespectacled man. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means. He wore glasses. Oh. Uh, the quaff of the hair kills me. The quaff of jet black hair. The quaff. He may also wear a leather hat. And they also alerted the public that it's also possible that the assailant drove a red moped. Where'd they get that information from? A witness had, at, um, near the forest, mm-hmm. had um, seen a man with a leather hat driving away. From the area around the time that Marcus and Ruth were killed on a red moped. Okay. Um, and he was acting a bit suspicious, that witness said. The witness so didn't hear gunshots They or said that it was possible. Well, he did spend a long time with the bodies. Yeah, so, he spent yeah. a long time with the bodies. So it was possible, not, you know, decidedly that he was driving a red moped, but it was possible. Just look out for him. Well, they were in a secluded area. Yeah. And the only person seen leaving that area remotely in that time frame was a person right. on a red moped. So yeah, there's a pretty good, that's chance. a person of interest if nothing else. You know what I mean? Releasing this physical description worked because a man called in and told the police, Hey, 
this looks and sounds a lot like my super creepy co-worker. It's always the co-worker. Kuno Hoffman. And he happens to drive a red moped. <laughs> he had the, the, the black quaff and the, he would be spectacled. That was him. Okay. Yep. 41-year-old Kuno Hoffman was arrested on May 10th, just three days after killing Marcus and Ruth. But who is this guy? Is he really a vampire? Freak show is who he is. Okay. So Kuno Hoffman, here's a little bit about him. (laughs) He was born in 1931, and he was not born in a good situation. His father was an incredibly violent alcoholic who regularly beat him. And at just one year old... Kuno, get this, Pat, was wrapped into a sack and literally thrown out into the dumpster by his father. Oh. That's a baby. He was also hung out of a window and beaten while hanging. Yep. Okay. Kuno was completely deaf and nonverbal, Pat. Oh. Yeah. And his mother would argue that it was the beating. I was about to say, it was probably from the beatdowns he took. Well... Um, His mom thought so. His mom thought that it was because of the beatings that Kuno endured as a child at the hands of his father that caused him to be this way. But in reality, a doctor would later maintain that Kuno's disability spawned originally from an inner ear infection. Although I'm sure that the constant beatings did nothing to help the situation. No, I'm sure it had nothing to do, like, not nothing to do, but I'm sure it didn't help. It exacerbated it, for sure. And it goes back to our whole, here it is. There's potential head head trauma. trauma. That's our whole theory about a lot of these deranged behaviors. Thankfully, Kuno did not have to be around his father on a regular basis for very long because his dad was always doing time in prison. Okay. You'll be interested to know that Kuno's dad did time for burglary, child abuse, and the attempted murder of a woman that he raped. So the so apple the, was, does not fall. You literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> From the tree. It's scary. But I mean, he's following the behavior, you know, and if it follows that whole pattern of control, mm-hmm. right? The shit his dad was doing and his dad was doing to him, he just couldn't do anything when he was little. So he ends up doing the same shit when he's older as a form of control or the fuck you. He doesn't know anything else, I don't think, other than. Well, he's, emula- he's emulating his dad right? who was in charge and mm-hmm. had power. So he's trying to have power. He just takes it to a whole nother degree, whether it was innate in him or it was just, you know, maybe it was the head and, trauma. And um, he has a need for human connection, too. Maybe the blood was his connection to humans. I don't know. Well, in 1940, his mom and dad divorced and Kuno was moved around uh, roughly eight different specialty schools, schools for the deaf, before just ultimately dropping out and taking work as a shoemaker's assistant or an, an apprentice. Okay. After a time, he gave up on that, and he started working in Nuremberg on a farm. However, he was soon fired after he just simply demanded a higher wage. I guess his boss didn't think he was worth it. Got it. Unfortunately, Kuno had a very low IQ. In fact, his IQ is only 70, I believe. I'm not going to speculate on that, but it kind of fits. And of course, due to his deafness and inability to communicate... That really limited what work he was able to do, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, but the deafness alone in the, what, what are we talking about? The 1970s. 70s. 70s? Mm-hmm. They're not going to make many. There's not a lot of ADA accessible yeah. stuff for a deaf person to go to work with. You know what I mean? So. 
So because of that, Kuno was placed into various medical facilities and even spent time in prison. I don't think, I think it's more, the prison was more because society didn't know what to do with him uh, and less that about he was committing crimes. I don't even think he was committing crimes up until this point. Um, but he was bounced around from like, like asylums to nursing homes. I would say mental to, institutes yeah. to all these other places. Yeah. So I think when it says he spent time in prison, I never read anything about him doing like committing crimes. What I read about him, and I was just reading about him when we were doing it, maybe that's because what I read is he was in a bunch of mental institutes and broke out. And and escaped, yeah. So then maybe they threw him in a a mental ward in a prison because maybe he couldn't break. I don't know. And then he broke out, and then maybe he did time. I don't know. I don't don't know But but maybe they put him in mental institutes because they didn't know what to do with him, and he Mm -hmm. broke out. So they're like, we'll put you in the mental ward of the prison. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you can't break out, and he did, or whatever. And we don't know the laws there. Yeah, it's German laws in the 1970s. I'm not even going to speculate no. on that one. Well, after escaping one facility, Kuno went to live in Nuremberg with his sister, and his brother helped him find a job for a while, and he seemed to be actually doing okay, you know, keeping his head above water at least. Probably because he had a family connection. Yeah. Or he had a human connection there. Yeah, which... I don't know anything about his family. There's not a lot available, but it's like, why didn't y'all help him out in the first place earlier? Anyways. Maybe it was one of those families that everybody ran away the first chance Maybe. they got. It might have been. But one thing frustrating to Kuno was that he could not form relationships, especially romantic ones. He was not charming. He was not witty. He couldn't communicate. He he was just in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... Frustrating. The majority of the population in Germany at the time didn't speak sign language. Yeah. He's already kind of creepy. He's a little weird. So he developed a pornography addiction. And he resorted to spending quite a lot of time in brothels. Here we go with pornography. Yeah. And so he would frequent brothels and sex workers. But this left Kuno wanting more. He felt that sex workers just wanted to get the job done and get paid. And he wanted a connection. He wanted to connect with. You can't blame the man. I mean, you can blame the man for everything he did, but you can't from not, this point on. But you cannot blame him for, for wanting, wanting a, 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 a legitimate connection with human beings. Yeah, that you can't blame him on. This I, I just had to throw in, and I'm, at first I'm like, I won't add that in, but I just for the sole purpose of seeing your face, Patrick. Okay. <laughs> um, since he felt that you know sex workers weren't getting the job done. Um, at one point, Kuno's sister insisted that Kuno purchase a rubber doll, like a sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> and it it just still left Kuno feeling that there was much more to be desired. Yeah, you can't connect with a doll. <laughs> and then I'm even laughing even harder because I'm trying to think of what a 1970s... rubber. They called it a rubber doll. I bet it was rubber. It probably one of those inflatable ones that people get as a joke. Now he was it probably was a sex doll, yeah. But I'm saying the technology of a sex doll <laughs> in the 1970s was probably like a doll you or a balloon you got at Party City and blew it up and it just had a mouth hole. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> fucking horrible. <sighs> so also, the doll that I also wanna, I wish it would have worked. But I also want to just throw the point out: his sister. His sister recommended that shit. So you know, if his sister is recommending like that stuff, you're, you need some help. Bad. You need to go buy some shit to. You help are yourself. making all of your problems everybody's problem. <laughs> your sister's like, go buy a sex doll because you need help. Like, when your sister says you're buy a sex doll, and this is not what are you doing, stepbrother? This no. is like. Oh, it's Anyways, awful. 
So after Kuno was arrested, um, his living arrangements, of course, would be searched. And behind the washing machine, like in the wall, where the washing machine connected to the wall, Mm -hmm. police found quite a large amount of dark literature. Um, Satanic ritualistic books and books involving vampirism. Mm -hmm. Vampirism? Vampirism. Vampirism. You're right. And two books struck investigators in particular. These are very, very niche books. Okay. (laughs) Um, They were books about dark, taboo subgroups of necrophilic vampires. So, not just vampires and not just necrophiles, but vampires who are necrophilic. Well, yeah, not necrophilia or vampirism, which the people being vampires is living. Which I hope is very niche. Like, very, very niche. Which fits into every one of the crimes you described earlier. It was all dead bodies. It's basically doing the same thing to dead bodies. I mean, it's... So, he... It's fair to say he had a kink. Hmm? That's not a kink. That's a... A demon? <laughs> I, a I, demon. I, I gamble to say a disorder of sorts. Uh, what do they call it? Not par... Oh, what's it called? A problem. That's what it's called. <laughs> Anyways... I'll think of the word later. I know you will. You'll think of it as soon as the episode ends. You'll just blurt it out in the middle of it. So between 1971 and 1972, Kuno began acting out his new fantasies that he was reading about by breaking into mortuaries and cemeteries at night, digging up newly buried corpses and violating them. He would, how he would do this, he would follow the obituaries in the newspapers and that's how he would find the freshest graves. Yeah. He would stab them with knives and razors and drink their blood, eat their flesh, mm-hmm. and occasionally cut off their heads or cut out their hearts and keep them. I'm sorry. I think I just dry heaved a little bit. As we saw at the beginning of the episode with the young girl's corpse, he would sometimes arrange the corpse and pose them and play with them almost as if they were dolls at a tea, like how you used to set up your dolls at the tea party. But he's not the first killer we've seen do mm-hmm. that shit. A lot of the people. Gainesville Ripper and a few others used to pose as stage scenes. It's really weird how. He's giving me Gainesville Ripper mixed with Ted Bundy vibes. He's giving me that the, um, we haven't covered him yet, but there is a serial killer in, I want to say Ecuador or something. Mm-hmm. That did that mm-hmm. with children's graves. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But the, the way he poses things and then the defiling corpses, it's like a Ted Bundy mixed with a. Gainesville Ripper style. Very childlike. Like, oh, yeah, almost obviously. Like at a tea party or something. Obviously, I would venture to say from the abuse this kid suffered, yeah, this guy suffered. He very never, mentally stunted. Mentally never matured past like 10. Yeah. Because they always say that you stop maturing at the age that you suffered your at trauma. The, trauma. Mm-hmm. the age of trauma. Yeah. I would say that that's very true with him. So he would take time with them to play with them, you know, as if they were his toys. And it's, it was his, And it was his audience, too. Yeah, absolutely. They were, he was connecting with a crowd. Let's not forget he was also may have been doing rituals that he read about as right, well. Right, right. With the candles. But posing all the other ones around is like, not, maybe he's connecting with a crowd. Or they're watching him. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's the focal point. He feels important, special, whatever. Imagine walking up on that shit. I mean, oh, good God. I would probably scream like a little girl and go run into the car to find Same. a phone or a gun or I don't know what. A Bible. I don't, I don't know what I'd be running for. And when he found the corpse attractive, uh, he would commit necrophilia or 
for those who aren't familiar with the term, the act of raping a dead body. I'm literally trying not to just be saying bad shit right now. So, because you know, I don't have a filter. I'm putting my filter on for this episode. At the time of his arrest in May of 1972, Kuno was responsible for desecrating the graves and remains of 35 people. 35. And you know the court's like, what the fuck do we charge this dude with? Yeah. Like, what is this? What, uh, we don't even have <laughs> The cops are just sitting there like, I need a beer. We like, need to well, come up. Someone get a bottle now. of Jack. We're just going to figure this shit out. Like, what is going on right now? 35 people. That's insane. Yeah, imagine being the investigators on that one. Ooh. Well, in August of 1974, Hoffman was put on trial for his crimes. And, of course, the courts questioned whether or not he was sane and responsible for his own actions. The, the nature of the crimes alone, you're going to get a mental capabilities mm-hmm. issue. Question. Yeah. yeah. Like. So, basically... It wasn't so much if he was guilty. They knew he was guilty. The but question was... Could he be stand trial as a mental... Well, no, not even that. It was, I mean, at least for their system. The question was, should he be sent to jail or an institution? Are yep. you going to spend the rest of your life in prison or an institution? Or sedated on a bed mm-hmm. in an institution. Hoffman, I go with institution, but... using sign language, um, attempted to defend himself in court by saying... And this is paraphrasing, by the way. What? Yeah. Hey, I'm not a Satanist. I'm just a lonely guy. And the only people who would spend time with me were dead girls. Look. That's, that's what he said. I've been fucking lonely in my life at times. Yeah. That's not a good defense. His defense team did try to claim that Hoffman was, in fact, insane. However, the court ultimately decided that since he knowingly and willing, and this is smart, he knowingly and willingly traveled from town to town to commit these heinous acts. He must have had all of his faculties because if he didn't just go to one cemetery and stay there and if you didn't know. Right. It wasn't a cemetery next to his house. It wasn't like he walked out his back door and there's a cemetery and you just kept doing it. It took a fair amount of planning to some degree. And it shows that he's aware that what he's doing was wrong because he didn't want to get caught. So he would drive several like a long ways away to the island of Silt to go desecrate right. I mean, he's moving around to do it and then go to Nuremberg, so then he's go not go doing the Hamburg. same place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's being very strategic about it. So if yeah, you can't tell me that you didn't know that, that you knew this was wrong. He did, yeah. but his statement alone tells you that he knows it's wrong. Yeah, he knows it's wrong because if he said if you when you say he said I'm not a Satanist, I was just a lonely guy. That's just a pathetic excuse. That's not saying I didn't know what I did was wrong. That's admitting like I knew it was wrong, basically. In my eyes, maybe I'm reading into it too much. No, you're right. And the courts agreed with you, too. Because Kuno Hoffman was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Not an institution. Yeah, and they don't, I don't think they have the death penalty in Germany even back then. I don't think so. Uh, that dude should have gotten it. <laughs> if anybody does. Him. Get this. His final request. <laughs> oh, God. While waiting for his transfer to fe- the federal pen. What, trip to the mortuary? Was one last sip of virgin's blood, end quote. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I want that Bugs, di- bu- I want that Bugs Bunny meme where he's like, no. That's a direct quote. Well, he signed it, but still. And I would have signed back the middle finger like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck you, guy. You're done. Like, You're no. sick. That is no. Just no. <laughs> Jesus. So, was Kuno Hoffman a real vampire? 
One article I found on filmdaily.com summed it up. We're getting the good stuff now. Perfectly, I think. And it says, How do we define a real vampire? If you mean a hellish, immortal creature, then no. A real vampire didn't commit numerous dark crimes in 1970s Nuremberg. However, if you mean someone who murders to drink human blood and partakes in satanic rituals, then yes. The vampire of Nuremberg was certainly all too real. I like that. That's a really good quote and a really good way to explain it, right? Because yeah. there's no, you know, you know me, I'm all, I'm all over this shit. Oh, you love me some vampires. <laughs> I love this shit. I've the researched impurers. this shit. The but like, there's no real connection to vampirism as an affliction in the world, right? It's related to anemia, a few other disorders that have sensitivity to sunlight. And then Vlad the Impaler. Well, he, his his legend, the Vlad the Impaler yeah. legend, he's the start. Well, he's the Dracula, right? He's mm-hmm. the start of, and that's part of his name. Mm-hmm. Part of the name comes from Dragulia, which is the dragon's son, because his dad was a dragon. Devil's son. Dragon. I thought it was devil's son. The dragon. Oh. But there's no real like a lot of it's related to like just fairy tales with anemia from old school worlds, right? But that statement mm-hmm. is a fantastic argument to real world vampires because we've, we've seen these killers like the vampire Sacramento, mm-hmm. uh, a few others that are claimed as vampires. And it's true. Are they these, these demonic creatures from hell that come back? No, they're not supernatural. No, exactly. They're not supernatural. But can you be a, can a real vampire be a human being that kills and drinks the blood of the dead? Sure. Ritualistically. Yeah, you can't I suggest you don't. Satanic worship aside, <laughs> yeah. if you're killing people and ritualistically drinking their blood, mm-hmm. I, to me, you're a vampire. Yeah. You're not the supernatural, no. can't be killed, don't put garlic you're on my pizza, <laughs> like garlic pizza will kill me kind of guy. Like, yeah. no, you're not immortal. You're not lost boys. This is. Ooh, that's a great movie. Yeah, I know, right? That's why I threw it out there. But <laughs> but you're not like, you know, you're not bedazzling in, this, in the sunlight like Edward and all them from Twilight. Mm-hmm. You're not supernatural. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It was a shot at Twilight. You're not supernatural. But I think, you know, if you're pract- if you're practicing the legends mm-hmm. or the ritualisticness of the legends, you could, I mean, you can classify that as a real vampire. Yeah, he's a vampire. I mean, if you want to get Bottom down line, to it. you're killing people and drinking their blood ritualistically, you're being a vampire. You're being a vampire. And it's not a good thing. Don't no. get me wrong. No. But I would classify you in that. You're not a creature. But you you're are, a creature of the night that lurks and floats and mists and turns into bats. And you're a psychopath vampire. <laughs> psychopath is the best word for it. Yeah, there you go. But I hadn't heard of him before. I've heard of... I've heard like, of a bunch of the other a ones. A bunch of the other ones, but I hadn't heard of him. I've so. heard of the Ecuador one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Vampire of Sacramento. Go back and listen to our Vampire of Sacramento. It's a really good one. A bunch of the other There's another murders. German one. We've talked about that were vampiristic because they were following the subgroups. Yeah. Shit, the runaway devil was had so vampire. vampire. Yeah. She was on a vampire dark website and there was the other one where they went down to Florida and killed you remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, the and um the Bible Belt one. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the name of it. When they were going to the concert. Yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember their names though. But I mean we've you know, every, we've covered everybody's covered a lot of them. Mm-hmm. This one's the first one that's really like this dude was drinking blood. Right? Yeah, this this guy's kind of. He wasn't just drinking blood. He was defiling dead corpses. Mm-hmm. Not even sexually. Not even not even talking that piece of it. Because we've covered serial killers like Ted Bundy and all these others that defiled the dead corpses. bodies. Mm-hmm. He was literally like just not even killing at first. He was just drinking the blood of dead people. Yeah, that's fuck. Yeah, he's nasty. 
I wonder if he's dead. Did you find that? Did he die? How did he die of some sort of blood disease? <laughs> these are dead people. Their blood, after a certain period of time, you know, it coagulates. It you know, all these things happen he with the body. He got killed in prison because everyone's How, like, "You're weird." But the body decays. Yeah. So if you're drinking the blood of these dead, decaying bodies, how do you that not contract good. something? Something. You know what I mean? Like, that's just crazy to me. I bet you he got whacked in prison. I bet you no one fucked with that dude in prison. <laughs> Everyone was probably like, fuck that. <laughs> Maybe. That, did what? that dude did what? <laughs> He's the head of some prison gang now. He just walks in and everyone's like, fuck that. <laughs> Most likely he went to prison and they put him in seg in a corner Probably. Of a wing Probably. buried under the building. I had to. I would think that he would either just be like eaten alive in prison or well, in he, seg. He would have been in seg because he's a psychiatric question. Yeah. And the nature of his crimes, he probably would have gotten murdered in Gen Pop. Yeah, I would think so. Someone's going to test him. Be like, oh, you think you're a fucking vampire? Ugh. I don't want to be in a German prison. I don't know about you, but. I don't want to be in prison period. I don't want to be in prison period, <laughs> but especially <laughs> I'm in German a- I'm not picking a European or a location to choose for. No. A German prison pre-unification of Germany? Hell no, because we're not. Yeah. We didn't specify if this was East or West Germany either. Because this is 1970s. This is before. Oh, yeah, the, I'm not sure. This is before the fall of the Berlin Wall. So you have communist versus capitalist That's in the, in the Bavaria, country. Bavaria, so. I think it was Western Germany. Nuremberg is Bavaria, so. Well, if you look at the map and I looked up. Mm-hmm. I went to Silt because I had to see it because mm-hmm. of my Denmark. So my assumption is it would be on the West German side. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. I don't have the boundaries anymore because we destroyed those in the 80s. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, we babbled enough. This is a short but sweet one to kind of get us primed for well, spooky season. Babbled more because it was a shorter, shorter story. Yeah. So that is The Vampire of Nuremberg. Thank you for sure. nightmares. Of course. Love it. <laughs> Always count on you to fuck my sleep cycle up. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. And thank you for joining us. And don't drink your neighbor's blood. Or dead people's blood. Like We love you so much. Be good to each other.